All right, if you would open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, last week, last week we began our little series that we're going to do on the book of Hebrews, which is a fabulous thing, and my title last week was God's Final Word. And if you remember the passages that we focused on last week, it was in the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, and we describe those to you. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There's something unique about that, speaking to us through his son, through the son. And as we looked at that last week, we realized that he was speaking of him being the logos, being the word. It was word. He his very life was a, was a word. His very life of Christ was the speaking of the word to us, revealing God to us. Because we just had read in our scripture, and I thank you for reading that so well this morning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So there was the divinity side of that was brought up in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we're going to look at, and if you found it there, if you look in chapter 2, chapter 2 now brings with it the side of humanity. So let's begin with the first verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, if you would, if we look carefully with that. We must, Paul says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We do not drift away and be lost. For since the message spoken through the angels is binding, in other words, the revelation that he gave through the angels to the prophets, is binding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment. Our violations, our sinful nature, the wages of sin is death. Isn't that what the Bible says? The wages of sin is death. How shall we escape, Paul asks, if we ignore so great a salvation? And if you remember in Acts, it says, uh, salvation is found in no other person, no other name under heaven given among mankind than where we must be saved. So how should we escape so uh, be, if we are ignorant of such great salvation? We're not. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And so they were the other apostles and the disciples that heard him and gave their testimony. But God also testified to these by signs, the Bible says, and wonders and various miracles, he said, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Distributed according to his will. John and I had the privilege of going and being on Lake Galilee and were the place where Jesus walked on the water. Walked out on the water. It wasn't frozen. No, we were in a boat, though. Yes, we didn't do any walking on the water, but there was Jesus walked out on the water. A miracle is good. We also know that it was right around there that he fed the 5,000. We stopped at that place as well, where Jesus gave and fed the 5,000. And that beautiful experience with there. But it also mentioned Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Those, all those things are kind of tied up in those just few words. So salvation was given. Salvation was given because of the results of sinning. Now you have to watch this. The ultimate result of sinning is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, I want you to skip down, if you would, to verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's talking about us, he too shared in their humanity. Back to John, John said, 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So we saw Jesus coming in his birth, did we not? And we came in the flesh and he became born of the spirit, but he was there. And the Bible says, and then he walked among us. We heard him talking. We said, observed his life, the apostles did, as they walked among us and got around. He also was crucified, crucified, and he rose from the dead. So those experiences that we could be able to witness of Christ's testimony to us. Now, here you go. Jesus did more than forgive our sins. Now, we think of that and say, yes, that was a great thing that he did to forgive us of our sins. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than just forgiving us of our sins. He did more than just cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Although he promised you faithful and just in forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. There's, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than just cleaning the deck. The deal is that Jesus reversed the effects of our sins. He reversed us. And therefore, Jesus rescued us from death. Now, that's huge. Now, as a pastor, as a pastor, I, I have in my files all the funerals I've ever done. And as a pastor, I've done a lot of them. Some of the people, there are a few in there that I, the first time I got acquainted with the family was at the funeral. That was my contact with them. Didn't know the person. Others were members of my church that we struggled with through their illness, or they were gone in an instant. Some of them crib death. It's very sad, very sad that this, as a pastor to stand around with the family around the grave where your loved one is being laid down or the memorial service or whatever's happening. So I, I could look in my files and I, and I bet I have several hundred, several hundred people. It does something to you as a, as a pastor when, you, when you're with your congregation with people that are mourning their loss. Some of them, some of them, when you're laying near their little infant and the, and the coffin's just a little one. And the pain of that family of why all of a sudden the baby's gone within three or four months after being born. Jesus came to reverse the results of that. Death is opposite of God. God is life. Death is exactly the opposite. And we have to ask, well, how did that happen? How did that take place? How did that experience happen with it? This, uh, this young man is David Cowan. David Cowan um, is a wonderful Adventist young man. He's now probably in his mid-40s. Still young, isn't he? 
very young, very young. Uh, David Cowan was the drummer for the uh, Boston Pops when I was there. Um, incredibly talented young man, incredibly talented. But the question of how, how is it possible that God... So let's get back to, to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll look back at verse 14. Since, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So what happened in Eden when Adam and Eve sinned? They had to be expelled, and death began. Immediately death started. You, when we are born, we know that as we get older, and particularly, you know, eventually things are changing. I've noticed that the color in my hair, which evidently didn't, wasn't caused by the freezing temperatures in Minnesota, but by other things, which I thought that's what it was. It was certainly, certainly should have done that. Verse 15, so... And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Held in a lifelong bondage. A fear of what's going to happen. We love and cherish life. And yet, we all have the realities of this world, we, we kind of pass it on and say, well, we all have to go sometime. We all have to go sometime. It doesn't give me any comfort. Does it give you any comfort? We all have to go sometime. I remember my dad, as he got older, he was 95 years of age when he finally passed away. He had hoped that the Lord would return. And when he realized that wasn't going to happen, Realized his life was coming on his, he, he was a physician, so he could, he could tell his body was, was shutting down and was finishing. It was tough on him, and he would, it would depress him a little bit, even though my dad was pretty upbeat about everything. Knew it was his time to go. And even though he was 95 and said, well, he lived a long and healthy life, I still miss him. He used to call me every Friday night. Hey, Bill, what are you preaching tomorrow? Hopefully I had something to say. <laughs> he was my critic. Sometimes he'd, he'd watch or hear some things. He you know, Bill, you should do this. You should do that. And Thank you, Dad. Appreciate it. I'll have to go sometime. For surely, verse 16, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, people. It's not the angels who need his saving. It's not angels who, who are sin who need to take part of that. It is for Abraham's descendants that he became flesh. And for this reason, and for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. He had to be made human in order to provide for us a way to escape death. Now, going on on Wednesday night, in case you hadn't caught on, uh, we're having our class on the life and times of the early church. And part of the discussion that will be coming into that class 
has to deal with the issue of the nature of Christ. And this passage indicates to us two things from chapter 1, that God, that Jesus was 100% God, chapter 2, that he was 100% man. We will deal with how the church struggled with that and how for several hundreds of years they struggled with, is he 100% God? Is he 100% man? We shall not do that today. You'll have to come to the class and get the lesson and it'll be great. But verse 17, for this reason, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Might make atonement. You see, the, the story of Job, the story of Job is Satan's challenge to why he should be able to save any of us. Consider my servant Job. Remember that story? Remember, consider my servant Job. And Satan says, yes, but if you let me touch him, he'll, he'll curse you. He'll do the same thing to all of us. All of us. It's played over again. Consider my servant. John here, consider my servant. If you let me, if you let me trouble him, he'll, he'll curse you. He'll turn away from you. Because he only serves you because you keep blessing him. That same challenge is given to us. And so Christ came to reverse that, to give that. Verse 18, because he, uh, he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You have got to understand something that you don't get in the King James or in the NIV. This is significant. If you see where it says, he is able to help. Well, that is just a kind little way of saying something extremely more important. Actually, the word that is used there, that, that Paul uses in Greek to share the meaning of what it is, means to run to the cry. It's more than just helping. When he hears the cry... He runs to help. Don't you see that? It's, it's so much more powerful. So when he sees that we are in pain, when he sees that we are in distress, and we lift up a cry, God help me, he runs to the help. It's more than just he's there to help. He runs to the help. The eagerness is there in the word to go and do it, to supply that and go. Because when we are tempted, when we are tempted... For those who are being tempted. For those men, why are we being tempted? We're being tempted because we're in our suffering. You see, it was Job who was being tempted to curse God because of the suffering that was on him. And our suffering in this world, our suffering that comes our way, is a temptation for us to say, I've had enough. I give up. That's enough. But this whole passage rings with the concept that Jesus triumphs over death. Isaiah, death? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where? Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin 
is the law. But thanks be to God, it claims. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been thinking about this. Last night as I was sitting listening to them singing, I was thinking of this passage of Scripture. And all the, all the graves I've stood around. We have the blessed hope. And God will call them. How would that be? So my mind, and this is my mind, not, you have to take it with a grain of salt, okay? So this is my thinking. When Jesus was called, and he in the grave, the angels descended from heaven, and there was an earthquake when he hit the ground, and a bright light, and the angel came, and he tossed the stone aside, and said, Behold, your father calls you. So I would assume, if I, I'm just going at, that when the Lord comes at the resurrection, he will send his guardian angel, our guardian angel, to come to that grave, toss it open, it'll hit the ground with a bond of light, boom, we're there, he tosses the grave open, and he says, your father calls you. And I can just see the huge grin on his face as we rise, see our guardian angel, and he puts his arms around us, gives us a hug like we've never been hugged before, and he picks us up and says, come on, let's go. And I look at that and I say, finally, finally, it's made right. Finally. No wonder we will rejoice. No wonder we can sing with joy in our hearts. That's why. Because we're not left just to be forgiven. We're not left just to be made right. We have to be rescued. Therefore, we should have no, no fear. We are not like those who have no hope. Yes, we can just glibly say, yes, we... It all comes to us eventually. Well, hmm. But I have a Savior who will call me forth. And I imagine that when the angel descends, that angel, that guardian angel comes and rips open the graves. Can you imagine how that would be? The power of that. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. From the sea, from the air, from wherever they were lost, the angel knows where and will retrieve and bring us home to be with our Father. And thus we will ever be with the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for that promise given to us I thank you for the beauty and the impact of that. May we never lose sight that you have come to rescue us from death, sin eradicated, and that our great Savior has come. In Jesus' name, amen.